Welcome to the Sick and Successful Podcast. If you're a business owner, work in corporate, or have a side hustle you're passionate about, you're going to want to stick around because I promise to ask the tough questions and talk about the things others shy away from. You know, what it's really like to own a business and be chronically ill. I'm going to give you that push you need towards following your dreams and be the friend you come back to week after week to talk about the real things in life and in business. If you have goals and are working towards them, if you're determined to be successful, no matter what life's obstacles get in the way, this podcast is for you. Dream big and tune in. Welcome to the Sick and Successful Podcast. This is your host, Natalie Supes. I'm excited to introduce my guest today. She's a part of an entrepreneurial group that I'm a part of, and it's a group about marginalized people standing up and growing their businesses. And it's like a really, really cool place. And I met her there and I'm excited to introduce her. Her name is Trista Harris. Trista is a philanthropic futurist and nationally known as passionate advocate for equity in the philanthropic and nonprofit sectors. Trista has been featured on CNN and her work has been covered by Chronicles of Philanthropy, the New York Times, Minneapolis, St. Paul's Business Journal, Forbes, and numerous social sector blogs. She's an international speaker on using tools of futurism to solve society's biggest challenges, just as the president of Future Good, a consultancy focused on helping visionary leaders build a better future. Prior to launching Future Good, Trista was the president of Minnesota Council on Foundations, MCF, a vibrant community of grant makers who awarded more than $1 billion annually. She was also the executive director of the Headwaters Foundation for Justice. Trista Harris has earned the Master's of Public Policy degree from Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs, University of Minnesota, and her Bachelor of Arts from Howard University. Washington, D.C. She has also received a certificate in strategic foresight from the University of Oxford. Wow. Welcome, Trista. Thanks, Natalie. So great to be here with you today. So great to see you and see and hear you and have you on the podcast. Your bio is just like, wow, 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 at every corner. So it's so cool. It's so cool what you've been able to do. I appreciate it. Anytime you hear your bio read, you're like, who is that person? Oh, yeah. Right? Literally. So before we get started, I'm curious from after reading your bio, did you found and start uh, the company Future Good? I did. I did. did. In 2018. Wow. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit more about that, like how you started and Mm -hmm. what your passion was then and goal then and now. For sure. So I have worked in nonprofits and foundations since I was 15 years old. I've always had a a passion for the work of trying to make the world a better place. And back in 2018, I decided that the pace of change in the world was getting so much faster. And I had been doing futurism work since 2008 and felt like it was really time for me to do that work at a national level instead of local and help foundations and nonprofits across the country as they sort of manage this volatility. And so decided to, to start the business with the idea of increasing my impact. I had a kid that was in college and another one that was in high school. And I was like, I hope I can make back my income that I had from this nice cushy job and um, try to keep things sort of stable for my family as I was chasing after my dream. And in the second year of business was able to get to that point of finally getting it stable enough that I was earning the same amount of income, which felt like a huge accomplishment. Amazing. And in in a few short years, you're now a seven figure business, which is like, it's just so inspiring and so amazing. But for those listeners that don't know, can you explain a little bit about what futurism is? Yes. So futurism is 
really paying attention to signals of the future that are happening in the present that are telling you what the future is going to look like. And I had not heard of futurism. I didn't know it was a thing that existed. And in 2008, I was uh, running the Headwaters Foundation and I was 29 years old. It was my first job running an organization. I was super excited. I was a couple months into the job and I got a call from our organization's investment advisor. So for folks that don't know, foundations have these things called endowments. Those dollars sit in the market. The money that you earn from that is what you give away to your grantees or a percentage of that. And so our investment advisor called and he said, hey, don't panic which is a fantastic <laughs> time to panic. And he said, your endowment is down about 50%. And wow. that is devastating for an organization like ours that uses those resources to give grants to really important organizations in the community that were race, working on racial justice and economic justice. And it kept on bouncing between a, a 30 to 50% decrease, which meant we didn't have dollars to give away to our grantees. And I was worried we were going to shut down. So I am a couple months into this big new job and super excited. And suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm going to be the one that has to close it. And my son, who is a toddler then, I used to live in Minneapolis and there was this bookstore called Wild Rumpus, which is this like crazy place for toddlers where there's animals running around. There's like chickens and bunnies and cats and dogs. They had a horse in there once. It's ridiculous. And so kids never want to leave. You, you know, you come and it's like all of these books and all this activity. So he's just like going bananas. And they had one full-size chair and next to it was a pile of books that other parents had like left behind as they were trapped in this children's paradise. And one of the books was how to use futurism to get a business advantage during times of crisis. Wow. And I was like, this is a time of crisis. And so we we're sitting there. I read it from front to back and realized all those tools are what our grantees that we worked with needed during this time. And it's what we needed to sort of get through this really trying time. And so we started bringing those tools to our grantees and taught them how to develop a picture of the future that they wanted to create, taught them how to really take advantage of this hard moment that we were in to be able to create a better future. And in the following couple of years, our grantees had 10 legislative wins, which was the most wow. in our organization's history. First in the country, Homeowners Bill of Rights to deal with the mortgage foreclosure crisis, alternative teacher certification to diversify our teaching force, and then marriage equity in the state of Minnesota. So wow, heck yes. It really just like lit this spark in me that if people that are working to make the world a better place use these tools of futurism that are normally used by businesses to get a competitive advantage or the government, the military uses it often sort of to figure out who's going to hate us next. <laughs> but if it's put in the hands of people that are trying to make the world a better place, it's really transformative. And so I've been using those tools ever since then. Wow. What an inspiring story. And it's crazy how the universe, God, whatever you believe conspires and puts those tools right in front of your face. And if you're willing to open your eyes and, and pick that book up, literally, uh, your whole life can change. And if you're not, and you're kind of, you know, looking down at your phone and, and zeroed in into the hustle and the grind of day-to-day -day life or the struggle, because you very easily could have sat in that chair and been like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? And not even look down at the books and everything would have been different. That's so crazy. I'm reading the book, Big Magic right now. That is yes. about ideas. I'm are taking that on my trip. I love um, it. It's a fantastic book. And I, I really, I think you're right. There are these ideas that are circling around that are like, who's going to pick me up? 
who's who's the one that's willing and who's the one that's willing to do the work and who's the one that's willing to create this transformation. And so I'm one of the first philanthropic futurists in the world. I've created this area for my sector. I'm teaching other people how to use these tools so that there can be thousands and thousands of philanthropic futurists. And I think that was just it was an idea that was circling around and was waiting for a willing person to, to Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so honored to have you on the podcast and to talk. It's like when these episodes happen where I'm like, hey, just tell me more. Like, I don't want to even want to talk. Like, I just want to know more. Tell me about your company and about you. But I know that you shared with me that you had a really impactful diagnosis. Yes. And I'm curious to know what happened, where in this journey and how did that change uh, the kind of the trajectory of starting this business? Perfect. In 2020, I had not too long ago. Yeah, not too long ago. So I had built this business in 2019. I'd finally got it to the point where I had enough revenue to make up for this job that I had left. And then for 2020, I was fully booked with speaking engagements because every conference's theme was 2020 future vision. And so they they wanted a futurist to come and was just really excited about where my business was going and the impact that I was going to be able to have. And then the pandemic happened and suddenly every event that I was speaking at was canceled. All of my in-person visioning and facilitation work where I used to fly around the country and help organizations, all of that stopped. And it was like the world stopped. And Mm -hmm. I like, I think I've made a huge mistake starting this business. And so instead of sort of wallowing in self-doubt, I decided to start doing free trainings about scenario planning around COVID. So it was sort of like, if coronavirus comes to your community, what is your strategy? And really helping organizations start to, to build around that. And I also lived in Minneapolis in that time. And so that summer, George Floyd was murdered. And I worked with a number of racial justice organizations that were trying to figure out what an equitable future looked like and just yeah. did a in-kind work trying to help people figure out how to move forward and was like, okay, either the business is going to make it or not, but I'm going to make sure that I help people that are doing really great work in the world. That fall, suddenly everything started to turn around where I think everybody sort of realized we had been told, you know, stay in your house for two weeks and this will be over. And by the yeah. time people are like, hold on, I think maybe this is this is something that's going to be more transformative. And my phone started ringing off the hook from foundations and nonprofits that realized that their strategic plan no longer worked. And so they were like, hey, I heard you talking about how to create a more equitable future. I heard you talking about how there's all this change coming. I can now see that there's a lot of change coming. Can you please help us? And so felt like, oh my gosh, I'm finally getting this momentum that I've been trying for for so long. I've got all of these clients booked. I'm super excited. And then around that time, my toe started feeling numb. And, you know, in the, in the early days of COVID, there was a lot of like any weird symptom that you had was a COVID symptom. And so there was this conversation about COVID toes. And I was like, are these COVID toes? I don't know what COVID toes are. And so I call my doctor's office and they're like, if you don't have any symptoms, you can come in. They weren't taking very many patients actually in the office. They were trying to have people do remote visits and that sort of thing. But they're like, we really actually want to, you know, look at your toes and see what's going on. And so I go in and it's a brand new doctor that I've never met before because my regular doctor is now working at a COVID hospital. And she's looking at my toes and she's like, they seem fine. Tell me like, you know, what you're doing and what's different. I had been walking around barefoot in my house for like months and hadn't put on a shoe. And she was like, 
I think you just need better support for your feet. I think that it's just your toes are numb because you're just paddling around barefoot like a cave woman because we're all, you know, so weird during this time. But she said, since you're here, I think we should do a full physical because literally have no clients coming in. And so like, why not? Who knows when the next time it is that you can come to a doctor. So she did a very thorough physical and she felt my thyroid and she said, I feel a little something. It's, it's probably nothing, but I would feel better if you got it checked out. Said, okay. So made an appointment to get it scanned. They scanned and they said, we see something. We don't know if it's cancerous or not, but I think you should get a biopsy. And during that time of so all of the medical care was so complicated. So it's yeah. sort of like, what is the place that's still taking patients? And so it took a while to get all of the appointments done and they did the biopsy. And then on December 21st, 2020, they called me and said that it was cancer. Wow. And I was devastated and felt like I'm young. I've got, you know, two younger kids. I've got this big picture of what my future looks like. And like, am I going to be around for that? And to talk to the doctor that's like, it's super treatable. You need to do surgery right away. And we need to figure out how to get you in for surgery because they, they weren't doing elective surgeries, but really wanted to make sure that this one got done and searched around for doctor. I met with the first doctor who was very dismissive and was sort of like, Survival rate's really high. I'd done a ton of research and one of the possible side effects of the surgery is permanently losing your voice. Your vocal cords can be damaged. And I'm like, my whole business is talking. And he's like, no, it'll be totally fine. And I was like, I don't love this dismissiveness about this. Like, this is my voice. It's like one of my most important things. And so I had a really good friend who had gone through breast cancer and I had sort of talked through this with her. And I said, I don't, it's so overwhelming and I don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm a medical researcher and on Google trying to figure it out. She said, stop that number one. Like there's nothing, nothing good that's going to come from you and WebMD. And she said, find a doctor that you totally trust and then have them tell you what to do. And what you do is you follow their directions and that's it. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to decide, but your most important decision is who is that doctor that's your partner for this journey. And so reached out to a lot of folks for recommendations, found an amazing doctor. I met with her and she's like, I do this three times a day. I mean, she was an absolute pro. And I said, I'm really worried about losing my voice. And she said, I'm really worried about you losing your voice too. And here's how I tag your vocal cords so that I know where they are during the entire surgery. Here are the things that I'm going to do to make sure that you don't have to have radiation after this. When you have thyroid cancer, if it if they're not clear that they've gotten it all out, you need to do radiation and you often have to stay in a hospital or someplace else because you're radioactive. And so I was not interested in any of that. And so she really was a total gift and we scheduled the surgery. I decided during that time to not tell any of my clients. I was really worried about, are they not going to trust their, they're trusting their organizations and their organization's future in me. Are, are they going to trust that I'm able to hold it? And so had felt like I was really hiding this secret about something that was happening with me as I'm normally a person that's super transparent and open about what's going on. And it felt like I had to hold this thing really close. And then I found a a close network of friends that I told what was going on. People showed up for me and the train of 
healthy food coming to the house and the self-care gifts and the books and the just like flowers and notes and all the, you know, kindness that comes from your community when you're willing to say, I'm going through this really hard thing was so important during that time. And then I had the surgery and the surgery was totally successful. Thyroid surgery leaves you with a big scar. And so as it was healing, I was wearing these very dramatic scarves. So I'm on Zoom with my clients and I'm like, I had a couple of weeks where I told everybody, oh, I'm so booked. I can't meet with you. I'm just so busy as I was sort of healing up and getting my voice back. And then when I was able to start to work with clients again, I'm wearing this big dramatic scarf and people are like, that is a fashion choice. Like what is, <laughs> what's, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I just, oh, it's just cold down here. That's just what I like. And after a couple of weeks, I was like, this is dumb. I can't continue to operate this way in the world. And so I got the call back from the doctor that the cancer was totally gone. They had done all the scans and that sort of thing and felt like, congratulations. I Yeah. I need to really say what's going on to these clients that really, they often feel like family and I'm hiding something important from them. And so one of my clients that I spent a lot of time with, we had a team meeting and I was like, okay, guys, this is what has been going on. It's totally treated. It's gone. It's fine. I don't want to continue to hide this from you. I also don't want to continue to wear these stupid scarves. (laughs) And so like, I just want to be free. And they were so supportive and so just totally in my corner. And I'm so sorry we couldn't have been there for you during this process. Like, you know, please tell us what's going on with you. We care about you as a person, not just as a, a sort of cog in the wheel that moves things forward. And I found that, that like vulnerability and transparency just deepened all of those relationships in a really powerful way and oh, gave me encouragement that you don't you don't have to hide these really important and hard things that are happening in your life. It's so true. It's so true. And like I find, and that's one of my biggest missions is showing people that they can be sick and successful because when you have a chronic illness or an illness or a big diagnosis like you did, it's so easy and almost our first reflex to compartmentalize our success, our life, our drive, our hustle, whatever that is, our careers, and this big, massive thing happening in our lives. And I did it for 10 plus years in my career where, okay, I'll do what the doctors say and I'll go in and out of the hospitals and I will suffer every single day really greatly. But that doesn't touch my life. That doesn't yeah. touch my my career or my success or my drive. And what I'm trying to to get out into the world is actually, like you said, with that vulnerability and showing your clients like, hey, look what I'm going through, but I still got you. And you will know at every turn and what's going on actually builds more trust and more relationship and bonds and strengthens because guaranteed one of them had a cancer fr- diagnosis or friend or family member. It's, yeah, it's, it's so crazy. It's- I think when we connect as humans and we talk about who we are and what we're going through and what we need, we want to help and support each other. And I wouldn't want any of them to be going through a diagnosis like that without support. And so this idea that I'm a business owner, so nobody can see any weaknesses and I have to be able to power through is just silly because we are, we are people trying to do good things in the world. And that's the thing. Yeah. To be a human to do that. Exactly. And especially when we're working in these communities of purpose-driven businesses, like we're not 
Fortune 500 companies that are like just driving for the next dollar, we are change makers and we all have some kind of, especially what you're working with, but same with the communities that I work with, there's some kind of purpose. There's some kind of wanting to make this world a better place. And like, what's the best place to start than with our vulnerability and our ourselves, and especially in these crazy, challenging, life-changing moments of diagnosis or sickness or, but I just wanted to say congratulations. I'm so happy for you that that's how it turned out. And I can't believe that you continue to work and like all of it through because the stress of that like I've yeah. had a cancer scare and actually I completely blocked it out of my memory until now I'm writing a book called Sick and Successful but my daughter was only 7 months old I had just started my business mm-hmm. and I had a colonoscopy and the doctor said like I think I think it's cancer and I I think I just like was a zombie for the next three weeks. And I went to the office and it was no, it's not cancer. And then I'm like, okay, back to work. Like never spoke about it, never thought about it. Now I'm reading paperwork. I'm like, if that was a yes, I would have had months. I would have had months. And I like, it was a really bad diagnosis, not like, not lots of options. And I didn't even like, you know, it's just so interesting that you don't process it. And so the fact that you are working and still like enough brain capacity to put the scarves on and to show up on Zoom. And like, I I applaud you. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, there's a balance between pushing ourselves and taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that I really learned through that is that there is transformation and change that I want to create in the world through my business. And Mm -hmm. as I was going into surgery, I had felt like I said everything that I wanted to say to my friends and family. I felt really good Mm -hmm. about those relationships and just what I had built with all of those people and felt really at ease where I did not feel at ease was the business. And I felt like, I wish it had been just more than me doing this. I wish I was able to spread this in a way. And if I lose my voice, I can't do this anymore. And so I've got to figure out what the what the thing is for me afterwards. And when the surgery was successful and I hadn't lost my voice, what I kept was this feeling of um, I need to systematize these things so that one, I could take a real medical leave if I needed to. Yeah. Like, I can't have a business where, you know, I can't be gone for two to three weeks because of a surgery, because I'm worried about revenue. That's ridiculous. And two, it can't always be neat. There's a lot of ways that you can lose your voice. And so how do I systematize these things? And luckily Target Corporation made a big commitment to black businesses in Minnesota. And we were one of the businesses selected. They helped me to systematize all my futurism teachings into an online learning program and really recorded everything that I want to tell people about how to use futurism in their work and created this three-month program. And then when I got back, I started hiring staff. So I realized right away, this is ridiculous. I need support to be able to, one, manage all this new business that is coming in the fall, and two, to be able to make sure that it just is not me doing this work and that I have backup and support. And that being willing to systematize the ways that we were teaching things and being able to bring on other people to support the work opened everything up. Suddenly I was not the sort of barrier in my business and my own capacity and health and well-being was not the deciding factor about if work got done or not. Suddenly it was all of us working together to do that. And that's how we became a seven-figure business was being able to take all of this hard 
learning that had happened and turn it into what has to be different if something else comes up? Who are the other people that need to be around me? And then if my mission is to make sure that there's lots of philanthropic futurists and not me, that's why we created this Future Good Studio training program to make sure that there are lots of people in the field that are trained to predict trends and to help people understand what they want the future to look like and really support them in that process. It doesn't matter if I'm not around. Now there's hundreds and hundreds of people that know but I agree. (laughs) Yes, yes. But like that legacy piece is really like, as I was going into surgery, that's what I was saddest about is like, I wanted to create this dent in the world and I wasn't able to, and like too bad. And now I feel like I've been able to do that. And I, I feel like that piece is secured in a way that would not have happened if I hadn't have had this crisis. I just would have kept on trying to push myself and I'll do more and me, me, me. Well, and, and that's, that's a question I actually have for you because I'm applying yeah. to do a TEDx talk. June yeah. 6th, fingers crossed. Everybody yeah, cross their fingers. Yes, yes. Um, But my topic specifically is yes, sick and successful, but it is how those moments in your life that throw you to the floor, whether it's a death of a family member, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or a chronic illness diagnosis or bankruptcy, but they throw your life to the floor and they stop the hustle. They stop the grind and you're grieving and you're like just at the bottom are also the moments where you're able to look up and say, for me, it was, I don't want to work a corporate hustle where I'm like looked down upon for being me and for being a high achiever and constantly being put back in the hospital because I'm working so hard Mm -hmm. to outrun this hamster wheel. For you, it was, you know, I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to be the only, like, and you, those moments, you finally are in a bed, hospital bed for both of us, but you're going into surgery and I'm hunked up to stuff where it's like, I need to make a change. Like I can't keep going this way. Do you agree with that? And what do you think it would have looked like if you didn't have that moment? I think it, it, I'd probably be in a hospital bed for a different reason. So I think that this grind culture of I can do it and I've got it and I'm holding it and a little bit more and a little bit more is just keep on adding things on top of things until suddenly the collapse happens. Yeah. And I've had lots of times in my career where I just try to power through. And this was the thing that I could not power through. And I think that is the piece. I think sometimes the, the universe like gives you a hint a million different ways. And then sometimes it's the Mack truck because you don't listen. (laughs) So I think this was really like take better care of yourself, lean on others. You are not alone in this. You have a community, build the community. I'm like, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm totally fine. Totally fine. And then this is something that I can't get through myself. This is something that I can't just push through or ignore. I had had a situation a couple of years previously where I had a very high stress job and I kept on getting this pain that would shoot up my right arm and it was constant and it was for months and months and months. And I was at a health conference about African-American women and health issues. And they said, women ignore the common signs of a heart attack which are shooting pain up your arm. And I was like, interesting. Uh, (laughs) Maybe after I finish this big intensive conference and fly back home, I should call my doctor. And so I get back first day, I've got a bunch of emails doing all that. Second day, I'm like, I should really call. So I call the doctor's office and I say, Hey, I, you know, I've been having this shooting pain up my arm for the last couple of months. I'd really like to get it checked out. I'm really busy this week, but you know, next week I have time on Tuesday. And so do you have any availability? Uh, And they said, we are, 
not going to see you in the office. You are a liability risk. You need to hang up the phone and call 911 and go to a hospital immediately. And I was like, I am not going to do that. <laughs> they're like, they're like, you need to. And if you're driving, you might pass out and kill a family. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I called the family um, to come pick me up. I went to the hospital. They checked. It was not a heart attack. It was stress plus carpal tunnel that had created the situation and was there all day. And the doctor was like, so for months, you have been having symptoms that very clearly could be a heart attack. Explain to me why you are just coming today. And I said, oh, you don't understand. I have this very busy job. <laughs> he was like, no, nobody cares about your busy job if you're yeah. dead. Like you have to do better. And I think even with that, that wake up call, it didn't change my habits. It didn't, you know, I'd call the doctor a little bit earlier, but I still pushed myself just as hard. And I think this cancer diagnosis was really like, okay, I I can't, I literally have to stop and I have to restructure my whole life. Like what came out of it, a seven figure business, like that probably wouldn't have been here. Absolutely not. And it's like the universe, whatever, God, whatever you believe, whispering and then knocking with the hospital, you know, the shooting pain. (laughs) And then it's like, you know what? You're not going to listen. Let me blow your house down. (laughs) Yeah, pretty pretty much. And I think what I've really been trying to learn for myself is trusting my gut instinct so much earlier. (laughs) It does not not have to be the end of the road, that there are whispers that happen that probably started a decade previously that I just ignored because it was easier to just keep on barreling along. And now I listen for those whispers. What is, oh, what's that mean? What's going on? What's happening? Let me make sure that I'm paying attention to whatever this lesson is, because I don't want to always have to learn things the hard way. Talk about it so often, like learning what a yes feels like in your body and what a no feels like. Cause it's down to like hiring the right employee or the right contractor. Like, you know, on the first call or client, you know, on the first call, if they're a good fit or not, but maybe it's a big contract or maybe their resume looks perfect. And then you're paying for it three months down the line. Like, and I've learned that through business and not that I always listen. I'm not perfect. You know, sometimes (laughs) the mind overrules, but just like being cognizant of that, that feeling and, and just trying trying as humans to just listen the best we can. I think you're totally right on that client piece where the dollars really encourage you to ignore complete red flags. And I found that one breathing deep before those client zooms Mm. and really getting in touch with myself and making sure I'm the best version of myself before I have that conversation. And then during sort of listening to myself and what I find is that I get goosebumps when I'm really excited about the change that somebody wants to create in the world. I can feel it in my body. And that is my like, hell yes, that's yes. The, like, yes. absolutely yes. And then I get this feeling in the pit of my stomach when it is not a good fit. And with those potential clients, I'm like, oh, this sounds so great. I am totally booked, but I've got some other people that I can send you to and love to reach out if there's a different thing you're working on in the future and to just sort of bless and release and not feel like I have to work it into a yes. Anytime I do that and worry about, is there not going to be more business on the other side? Cause that's, you know, the constant worry I'll get two calls the next day for things that are a great fit. And so it's like trusting that no, there's a line of yeses waiting afterwards, but you're, you're not leaving space for those. If you're exactly snows. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're in that doubt and that like, I'm just going to accept anything that comes to the door, then the door is closed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I notice because I can see behind you, but you have a book that you've written called mm -hmm. Future Good. I'd love to know about that process and yeah. what the book is about, but also writing it and anything you want to share with us. Uh, so the Future Good book is about how to use futurism when you're trying to make the world a better place. And often people feel like futurism is so complicated and only professional futurists can do that. You often hear that from professional futurists. So they're like, no, let me figure this out for you. And that's because they get a, paid a ton of money to tell you what's next. But really, it's a simple process. And so in the book, I have laid out how to develop futurism practices that you're leaning on consistently. The writing the book was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Yep. It's my it's my second book. My first book, I had, I had a um, co-author, which was fantastic because you really, you feel accountable to the other person and we're sort of going back and forth and partnering. And it was probably a six month process for us to write that book and just move forward. When it was just me, <laughs> me being responsible to myself, it took about five years to, to write the book. Wow. And it just, I, I had friends that would joke that the future was going to be done before my book about the future was done. <laughs> and it just was like pulling teeth. And eventually I found a, a hybrid publisher that does a developmental edit. And so you sort of lay out the structure of the book and what you've written so far, and they give you feedback and they read it and they said, this is like, this is not the book. You are trying to make the case for why people should care about the future if they bought your book, they already care about the future. So just make a how-to. And I love doing how-tos and it's so easy for me to do that. And so after I got that advice, it was probably a two to three month process of rewriting wow. the book to something completely different. That was something that I was really proud of when I was finished. And that first draft, I hated it. It was like, I don't want to see this again. I don't want to read it. I don't want to talk about it. I was just so frustrated with the process and it's because it's the wrong book. And right. so sometimes you need that outside perspective to say, I don't think this is what you're trying to do. I think this is the, this is the right, the right thing for you moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm so glad I had that support as I was creating the book. Otherwise it'd probably be still sitting on my computer. So good. So good. And very motivational for someone who's writing a book right now, because there's moments where it's like, give me strength. Like I can't do this. This is so hard. Like it's like pouring a piece of your soul. And there's moments where like, I, I never want to look at this again. No, no. And I, for me, it was regular writing process. That's what got me out of the funk was every day I'd get up at 5am and write for an hour. And it didn't matter if it was crappy. It just needed to be written. And yeah. then I could have things that I could go back to. And then towards the end, when I owed something to the, the publishing company, I went to a hotel for four days and wouldn't leave my room and just I need to and do just taking that time where there's no outside distractions and I shut off the internet and just was like, I have to do this thing. It doesn't matter if it's good, but it has to be done. I knew at the, the end of that trip that something was getting turned in and I, mm. I didn't turn in something crappy. <laughs> so you, you do the work that it takes to get it done if you give yourself the space. So cool. So cool. This has been honestly one of my favorite interviews and I'm not just saying that. I've learned so much from you and I'm going to get your book probably on Kindle or Audible. Is it on Audible? It is not on Audible. Oh man. I know. Can we I get know. it on Audible? <laughs> I know folks keep on folks keep on asking. It's cuz I didn't want to record it. Yeah. Um, but 
there is new AI that reads your book for you. Oh, and cool, supposedly cool. they have really great voices. So my team's been looking into it. So well, it, that's it, pretty cool. Okay. Then I'll it, get it on Kindle. Cause I'm sure yes, it's on Kindle. It is on Kindle. <laughs> okay. I love it. I, we will make sure to link the book below as well as your socials and your yeah. business. But before we end off the red carpet is yours. Is there anything you would want our listeners to know about anything that you've got going on that they can find or purchase any last thoughts? For sure. So if you're interested in building your own futurism practice, you can join one of our Future Good Studio cohorts. There's information about it at our website, wearefuturegood.com. You are in a network of really amazing people from around the country and around the world that in different ways are trying to make the world a better place. And so you have really great support and tools as you're learning how to do that. And we've got cohorts three times a year. Amazing. Thank you so much. So this was like, this was so great. And I'm so glad to get to know you and be in your world. Uh, Natalie, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad that you have that this podcast. I wish it uh, that I knew about it when I was sick, but such a really, really great resource. And you're right. You don't have to choose. You really you can. You can have it all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can put one on pause too. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Awesome. Thank you. Remember, dream big. It's possible for you and your next version of success is around the corner. Mwah!